Take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Week 2 of our Advent series. Last week, we can know stability. This week, we can know contentment. And as you're turning there, I don't know if you've heard about the latest must-have item this holiday season. Uh, It is the product of Italian designer uh, Bruno Palessi. Uh, It is a a name brand shoe uh, that was carefully designed and has been rolled out in Santa Monica, California. A special uh, boutique opened up right before Thanksgiving. Uh, It was all over social media. All of the Southern California socialites attended uh, this event. Uh, They tried on these shoes. Uh, They could buy them between $600 and $1,800 they were priced. Uh, And so this is the thing that apparently uh, everybody wants this Christmas. It's the thing that will complete your holiday outfit. It is the thing that will make you put together and feel like this is the year that I am styling and profiling. And guess what? It was all a hoax. Paylessy is actually Payless Shoes. It was a marketing stunt. And so they created a website. They rented an old Giorgio Armani store. And they all did it to prove a point, right? Their shoes, 30 bucks, 20 bucks, right? But people were shelling out hundreds of dollars for their shoes and excited to be the first in line to purchase these. Here's what a Washington Post columnist said about this. The prank points out a reality about the human mind. Consumers are not capable of discerning the quality and value of the things that they buy. Slap a fancy sounding European label on $30 shoes and you have an illusion of status that people will pay an exorbitant amount of money for. You see, this is a part of our broken condition that we don't know the right value to place upon things. So we overvalue things that are actually of very little worth and a lasting value. And on the other hand, we undervalue things that are very, very important. And so one of the realities about contentment is is that we are always looking, searching for something to fill us. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is going to remind us that there is only one thing that is full, filled with the fullness of God, and that is Jesus himself. Will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now, now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant 
Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Pray with me this morning. Father, we confess our discontentment before you. We live in a world that tries to take our eyes and put them on the things of this earth as if another experience, another item, another relationship, that there's something else that will bring us lasting satisfaction and joy. Father, today we confess to you what we need is the fullness of Jesus. So would you fill our hearts and our minds and our lives with him today? Help us to course correct. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So when you think about this season, we think about songs and singing. You've already heard a bunch of songs today from our kids, from our choir, from our vocal team. This time of year, somebody's turning on the radio in your car and playing Christmas songs. You walk into a store, you go to the school program, you hear song after song after song, and it's right and it's good that we sing. Because when Jesus was born, the heavenly host, the angels started a song, and the church, God's people, have never stopped singing since. And so you might have noticed in your text when you read it out of your Bible that this text is spaced a little differently, like it's poetry, like it's a poem. It's because it is. This is an early Christological hymn. This is an early hymn that the early church sang. Now, we don't know what the melody was. We don't know exactly what the meter and rhyme were there. But we know that this is one of the ways that the early church honored Christ. And so Paul captures this hymn. And it was important that he captured this hymn in this moment because the church at Colossae was a church in a small town that was facing a big problem, a big heresy. There were people in and around the church, false teachers, who shaded towards early Gnosticism. And what they wanted to teach was that Jesus was prominent, that Jesus was important, but they denied that Jesus was preeminent. They believed that Jesus was important. As a matter of fact, he was what they would have called a divine emanation from God. So yes, Jesus was spiritual. Jesus lived a great life. He set a great example. But at the end of the day, these heretics were denying that Jesus was fully God. And to that, Paul responded with the letter to the Colossians. It has some of the highest Christology in the entire New Testament, pointing out who Jesus really is. So let's look at Stanza one, our verse one of this song, right? Paul is reminding us, and the early church is singing, that Jesus is Lord of creation. That Jesus is Lord of creation. If you're like, this sounds a lot like last week's message from Hebrews one, you're right. Because the early church believed that Jesus was fully God. And so Paul tells us, verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus is the image, it's from a Greek word where we get the word, English word icon, right? I like the translation, visible expression. That Jesus was the visible expression of the invisible God. Now, if you know your Bible, if you know your Ten Commandments, you'll know that in the Old Testament, God's people were prohibited from making any image of God, correct? Why? Well, God knew. That if we tried to come up with an image or a picture for who he was, we would fall short because we're human. Our minds cannot grasp the greatness and the fullness of who God is. 
As a matter of fact, we would be like those parents this time of year who see things on the internet and try to pull off those same things for their kids, like this dad who wanted to make a snowman pancake for his kid, right? And instead ended up producing the most terrifying breakfast experience ever. If we were trying to take the image of God, right, and construct something that would represent him, we would fall short every time. Not only that, we're always tempted if we did come up with something beautiful. Well, mankind loves to worship created things instead of the creator. That would be a temptation to us. So I want you to think about this for a moment. 2,000 years ago, for the first time in history, when the word took on flesh, we now had the visible expression of the invisible God. Paul tells us there's four characteristics about him, right? Number one, he was the firstborn over all creation. That word firstborn meaning rank or honor. Verse 16, he is the creator for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and by the way, the invisible. So we often think of visible creation, the things that we can see or touch or feel. But we forget that he's also the creator of the invisible. And he goes on to list the four spiritual realms that Second Temple Judaism talked about. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authority, all things have been created through him. And get this, number three, he is the goal of creation as well. All things have been created for him. You could translate that towards him. All of his creation is oriented towards him. So what Paul is telling us is, is of course, not only was he the creator, but he is also the end, the goal, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, right? That's who Jesus is. So he is the firstborn, the creator, the goal, and he is the sustainer. Verse 17, he is before all things, and by him all things are hold together in the perfect tense there as we talked about last week from the smallest atoms that we can break down and study by scientists but they still don't know exactly what holds an atom together right it's Jesus it's his word the Bible tells us that holds all things together the subatomic level but it's also the word of Jesus that holds the expanding universe together. That's how great our God is. And what Paul is telling his original audience is that you cannot diminish who Jesus is in any way, shape, or form, or you go down a slippery slope that leads you away from the gospel. Jesus, as the old saying goes, is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. A couple of years ago, I was with our mission team in Nairobi, Kenya, working with our mission partner. Every girl counts over there. I had done a week of pastor training. We had worked with the ladies there. It was a great week, a long week. And right before we left to the airport to fly back, we decided to go to the market in Nairobi to pick up a few souvenirs. So our group had all decided that we wanted to get some nativity sets, some African nativity sets to bring back to our families and to remind us this time of year to pray for our partners over there. And and once we got to the market that day, it was hectic. It was crazy. Uh, People were trying to pull us in different directions. So we needed to have a game plan. So we huddled together and we agreed to allow my friend John Cook to be the negotiator for our group. And so John began to march us from merchant to merchant, right, looking at their different nativity sets, and they were all presenting them to us, and they were showing us the different features and the qualities, right? And I remember one man, and almost all of them spoke English, but it had a heavy Kenyan accent, and he said, oh, this is a very fine nativity set. 
You have the shepherds, you have the wise men, you have Mary and Joseph, and you have maybe Jesus. And what he meant to say was baby Jesus, but it came out sounding like maybe Jesus. And to that, John took offense, right? He threw his hands up in the air and he said, there's no such thing as maybe Jesus. It's baby Jesus, only Jesus. Come on, we're moving on. And this shopkeeper was just standing here with all these nativity sets, right? Left in his hands like, what did I say? But John was right. There's no such thing as maybe Jesus. Either he is preeminent or he's not. He is either Lord of all creation or he is Lord of nothing. Do not be disillusioned. Don't be led astray. Jesus was the focus of the early church's worship. Jesus was the center of all things. And not only, verse one, is he Lord of all creation, he is Lord, number two, of new creation as well. Of those who have been redeemed by his blood, of you and me, of his church. Look with me at verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. That word head can mean origin or authority. Either work, of course, in this context, either are appropriate. But Jesus is the head of us, his church. I am not the head of the church, but Jesus is the head of the church. And we need to always remember that, that he is the beginning, the firstborn, there's that word again, firstborn, first in rank from among the dead. He was the first to rise and never die again so that he might come to have first place in everything. And that's the catch, isn't it? First place, not a place, not just a seat at the table, but Jesus is the head of his church. He is the head of the world, right? And this is where we get into trouble because we begin to believe and buy into the subtle lie of our culture that says, hey, it's okay for you to be religious. It's okay for you to have, you know, a little bit of Jesus in your life. But when you start saying Jesus is the way, the only way, when you start singing those words, well, you're irrelevant and you're extreme. You really think that Jesus is first place over everything? Yes, Paul says. He is first place in our hearts, first place in our thoughts, first place in our priorities, in our marriages, in our parenting, first place in our church, first place in our professions, in our finances, and on and on we go. If you wanna ask the question today, is Jesus Lord of all in my life? Just think about the different ports of your life and ask yourself this question, is Jesus first in every single one of them? Here's what Paul goes on to say. And the early church sings about the reason why this is so important. Verse 19, for God was pleased. This word means contented, right? So God was content in this, to have all of his fullness to dwell in him. That means there's nothing that Jesus is lacking. And so if there's something in your life that you're lacking, if you are in Christ, you need to know every resource that you need is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the only thing that can truly fulfill because in him, the fullness of who God is dwells. Through him, he reconciled everything to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now we're getting deep. Now it's becoming personal. Because the early church is reminding us, 
Paul is reminding us that we had an issue, that we were separated from God by our sin, that there was a reconciliation, a ceasing of hostilities, a relationship that needed to be restored. And the only way that this would be possible would not be by any merit of our own, anything that we could do of our own strength, but instead what God would do for us in sending Jesus to pay the price, the penalty, with his very own blood so that we could be reconciled and restored to God so that our sin could be covered. Speaking of songs, we were going around in our family devotion the other night talking about some of our favorite songs. And there's one that I shared that's always a favorite of mine, a simple piano, newer hymn. It's called Welcome to Our World. And it's always voice, uh, verse four that gets me every time. That says this, fragile fingers sent to heal us. Think about baby Jesus for a moment, right? Tender brow prepared for thorn. As a parent, that's unimaginable to me, right? That my child would go through that kind of suffering for undeserving sinners. Fragile fingers sent to heal us. Tender brow prepared for thorn. Think of this, tiny heart whose blood will save us, unto us is born. What powerful words that help us understand what Jesus did to reconcile us to God. And now Paul riffs on this, right? We come to the bridge of this song. After we've heard the verse and the chorus a couple of times, songwriters throw in a bridge to take that theme and expand it, and that's verses 21 through 23 that Jesus is Lord of creation, new creation, and he is Lord of salvation. These aren't just universal truths that we sing about, but these are personal truths to apply to our lives as well. So remember that when you sing the songs this Christmas season, don't just leave them out there in the world of sentiment, right? Apply them to your life and follow the lead of the early church and Apostle Paul, because that's what he does here. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds expressed by your evil actions, remember how far you came. Remember who you were before Christ, that you were cut off, that you were hostile, that you showed it in the way that you behaved. In two beautiful words, but now, verse 22. But now he, being Jesus, has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless. Allow this to wash over you for just a moment today. Think about this truth. The reality is, is that God not only sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be reconciled to him, but what's more, now Paul goes ahead and tells us that this is your standing before God presentationally that you are holy, blameless, faultless. You feel that way today? I don't, right? I don't. And so I don't live out the fullness of my identity in Christ because what Paul is telling us is that when God looks at us, those of us who are in Jesus, he sees the atoning sacrifice of his son and he applies that, pays it forward to us, right? to the fulfillment of the day when we will stand before him holy, blameless, and faultless, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done for us. That tiny heart, right? The blood of Jesus does more for us than we can dream or dare to hope and imagine. And don't allow the if at the beginning of verse 23 to throw you off. 
all right? It's really probably better translated since. It's actually an expression of confidence in the Greek language. Since indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel you have heard. Don't be shifted from this truth and this hope. Live confidently in Christ. Don't allow anything to take your eyes off of it. And we know this year, this time of year in particular, Everything is trying to shift our eyes off of our unwavering hope in Jesus. So don't buy it. Don't fall for it. Paul says, of this, of all messages, I am a servant. There's no better truth that you could give your life for than this. So I want to put this truth for us up on the screen again this Sunday because I really want you to marinate in it this Advent season. If you are going to find stability, contentment in this season or in any other, Anchor yourself to this reality. The baby boy in the manger is not only fully human. He is also fully God. He is God. And so this has implications for us and our contentment. Here's takeaway number one for us today. It's this. Let's unmask discontentment for what it really is. It's idolatry. And I know it, I feel it sometimes this time of year too, right? I've got to have the right set of circumstances. I've got to buy the right presents for my kids. We've got to create the right Christmas kind of moments when everything is perfect. What that is, is idolatry. I am selling myself over to a hope that something, some perfect moment, some perfect gift, some beautiful relationship is going to be able to do for me what only God can do. And that's fill me. So let's go ahead and confess it and admit it. Takeaway number two for us this morning is this. Let's remember that contentment is really the 10th commandment, right? Do not covet. And when we look at the stuff and the experiences and the things other people have and we want it, right? That's coveting. It's interesting to think about commandments one and 10 and how they encompass the fullness of the commandments. Commandment one, have no other God before me. Commandment 10, if I am full of God and I have no other God before him and I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then I'm not tempted to covet because I have all of the fullness that I need in God through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit. I was rolling down the highway the other day, heard an ad for some jewelry store come on. They were talking about diamonds and how diamonds are the perfect Christmas gift, right? And so they talked about this guy, jeweler, I guess. He said, I travel all over the world to find the finest and most exotic diamonds and bring them to you rednecks in Middle Tennessee, right? That was kind of the implication that was there. He said, as I travel, he goes, get this, I look into the soul of every diamond to bring it to you. And I thought, Man, that is hilarious, right? But it's so easy for us to buy into it. It almost slipped past me without, any, without me even noticing. What is a diamond? It's a rock. Rocks don't have souls, people, right? But it will damage your soul if you think that thing is going to provide ultimate value and worth in your life. But we've been so caught up in the marketing schemes, right, that we don't even hardly notice it anymore. So let's be sure, right? We have no other gods before our God. Let's be sure that we call out our discontentment for what it truly is. And then number three, our third takeaway today, let's be sure that we are satisfied in the fullness of life that is in Jesus, not what I would call the icing of life. 
How many of you already baked your Christmas cookies this year? Okay, a few of you. So you got some work to do, all right? Got parties coming up this week. Come on, get home this afternoon and get with it, right? How many of you have eaten some Christmas cookies this week? Yes. How many of you love the icing on the cookie? Can I get an amen? How many of you would love this? If you ate icing for breakfast, icing for lunch, icing for dinner. Oh yeah, we got hands up all over the place now. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. It would be amazing. What do you think your doctor would say about that? What happened if all you ate was icing? No fruit, no vegetables, no meats, no carbohydrates. What would happen to you? All right, yeah, you would get sick and die. Well done, preacher's kid. I'll catch him this afternoon with the icing, right? Yeah. You guys, here's our position as believers on the stuff of this world. We see it for what it is. It's not ultimate, right? It cannot ultimately satisfy us. But like icing, we can appreciate the things that God has given us because as we've already established, right? Jesus is the creator. So we're not ascetics who can't enjoy some of the things of the holiday season. But instead what the Bible teaches us is that we can appreciate them because they are good gifts of God. They're the icing on the cookie or on the cake, but they are not life itself. They cannot give life. So be satisfied in the fullness of Jesus. Not the icing of life. Appreciate it, recognize it, but don't live for it. Only be satisfied in Jesus. Only he can fill what's lacking in our souls. Bow your heads with me this morning as we come to this time of response. I'm gonna hear a beautiful song sung over you this morning about this very subject. And as it's sung, I want you to reflect, what are the areas of your life in which you find yourself discontent, in which you feel like you are lacking that thing, that relationship, that opportunity, that experience that you need? And then would you surrender that to Jesus, knowing that he is the fullness of everything that you need? Oh Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the visible expression of the invisible God, that in you the fullness of God dwells. And it's in your name we pray, amen.